David, I've uh, uh, married uh, Corone back years and years ago in uh, Winter Park. We have three grown sons. We have three daughter-in-laws that accompany those three sons. And I also have a number of grandkids. The reason why I don't look like a grandfather is because I use oil of Olay. It's my beauty secret, okay? If you haven't started using it yet, I highly recommend it. So back years ago, when I found out I was going to be a grandfather, I thought, man, I'm not, I'm not, I'm too, I'm not old enough for that. And besides, I need a cool name. So I created, I made up a name, and I made up the name G-Daddy. And so all my grandkids call me G-Daddy. Like when they came over the house the other night, they were, G-Daddy, and they run, jump up in my arms, you know, and it's great. So where I'm hoping, where I think my, my career path is going to end up is I'm going to evolve one day from being a grandfather G-Daddy to a great-grandfather move from G-Daddy to G-Diddy. So that's kind of the career path of where I'm hoping all this honking thing is going called life. Life can really be bizarre sometimes, can it not? Sometimes it's just filled with beauty and wonder and awe, and other times it's as confusing as hell, is it not? Where there's brokenness, where there's suffering, where there's pain, and you go, where in the world did that come from? Let me tell you about a guy a couple of years ago. He lived in Gainesville, and he went out to his car one morning. He parked in the street there and went out to his car to get in, get in and uh, take off for work. And he tried to start it up and the car wouldn't even turn on at all. He thought, what the heck has gone on here? So he gets out, he opens up the hood and looks underneath there and his battery's gone. Someone stole his battery overnight. Now, what do you think he thought of life in that moment? He thought, life sucks, right? Humanity is bad. You can't trust people. Look at this kind of crap that happens, right? So then he goes on to work and, you know, forgets about it, comes home that night and goes to bed. Next morning he gets up because a friend of his is going to come by and give him a ride. He hasn't gotten a battery yet. And he notices a big, big like sign on his windshield. And he goes over and reads it. And the note reads this it says, I'm so very sorry. But the night before last, I was passing by your house on the way to an emergency, and my battery died, and so I borrowed yours. But I've returned it in mint condition, and I'm very sorry for your inconvenience. Here are four tickets to the University of Florida game this coming weekend. Now, what do you think he thought about life at that moment? Life is awesome, right? People are marvelous. They're filled with beauty and goodness. Yay, it's great. So that weekend, they go to the game, the whole fam, enjoy it for a number of hours, get back home in the other family car, walk into their house, and the place has been cleaned out. They had been stolen completely. Everything was completely gone. What do you think he thought about life at that moment? Life is horrible. People are horrible. You can't trust them. Isn't life so often confusing when it turns dark, when it turns into suffering or betrayal or something like that? How can you and I begin to make sense of it? So tonight, I want to share with you something that I've been learning over the recent years that there's like an actual pattern to life that somewhere along the line, 
No one ever taught me. I was taught about parts of this pattern, but I was, no, I was never taught about the entire pattern that really ends up acting as a blueprint for our life. I actually believe that Jesus didn't come primarily to die for us. Jesus came to show us how to actually live where the divine and the human meet one another. He shows us this powerful paradox in which you and I are both fully divine as well as fully human. And what does it mean to live in the tension and the paradox and the contradiction of all of this? Over in John chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, you can uh, turn them on or turn over to there. John chapter 1, it says this. Uh, all of you are familiar with this passage of Scripture. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Actually, that word, word, in the Greek is just the word logos. But another way you can translate, and the meaning of that word logos is blueprint. So let's insert that because the word blueprint is less mysterious than word. All right? So it looks like this. In the beginning was the blueprint, and the blueprint was with God, and the blueprint was God from the very beginning of time. So Jesus comes along to show us the blueprint. A few verses later over in John chapter 1, it says, the word or the blueprint became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son. All of this goodness inside and out. So Jesus comes along and he demonstrates for us he's fully human and he's fully divine. He has union with his humanity, and yet he connects it to his divinity. Can I tell you what is most true about every single one of us? We are perfect spiritual beings having an imperfect human experience. Will you say this with me out loud? I'm a perfect spiritual being. And I'm having an imperfect human experience. Let's unpack that. You and I are a paradox ourselves. We're both divine and we're human. Our very origin, the breath that was first breathed into us was divine in every single way. And yet it often feels in conflict with our humanity. Check this out over in Colossians chapter 1. It tries to help us put some of this together. It says, we look at the sun and we see God's original purpose in everything created. We look at the sun, we look at this blueprint, we look at this pattern in the person of Jesus Christ and we see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything got started in him, everything got started in him, everyone got started in him and finds his purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence. He holds it all together right up to this moment. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Let's read the last part of this passage, scripture, the message translation out loud together. Here we go. Not only that, but all the broken, let's try that again. Let's read this together out loud. All right, let's try that again. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe People and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. 
he somehow fits all of it together, all the seeming contradictions and tensions of life. He seems to fit together the beauty of my life and the brokenness of my life. He integrates the two of them together. I don't have to live in denial of either one. And I'm able to transcend. He shows me a way where all of it's going to be able to fit together. How many of you, let me ask you, how many of you like jigsaw puzzles? Let me see your hands. Okay, a few, all right? You guys are like Jedi puzzle people. Jedi, but maybe a rung underneath that. I hate jigsaw puzzles, all right? So I bow down to you with all the patience you must have and the genius that's roaming around upstairs. They're only good with other people, okay? Good to know that. Perhaps that's been a part of my problem. So let me tell you why I don't like jigsaw puzzles. I feel overwhelmed. First of all, I'm mechanically dysfunctional, okay? My wife will tell you that I break out in hives if I get within five miles of Home Depot, I just start, it's just, it's just got, I get the heebie-jeebies right there. So anyway, when I look at jigsaw puzzles, whether they're hundreds, sometimes a few thousand pieces laying on a table, and most of them look like they don't fit together at all. And that feels overwhelming to me. But those of you that are Jedi, puzzle creators and makers, know that the secret is always the same. Whenever you get confused, all you do is you look at the picture on the box and you keep going back and going, this doesn't make any, this is, this is not, there's no way this is going to fit together. Well, it looks like it can fit together. Now, let me keep staring at that picture and then all of a sudden you're able to put more of the puzzle pieces back. Can I submit to you that Jesus is the picture on the puzzle box for every one of our lives? And according to Colossians chapter 1, his goal, his dream, his heart, and what he's going to pull off somehow, someday, some way, is he's going to fit together all the broken and dislocated pieces of our lives. All in favor of something like that, say aye. Okay? So that's what we want to go for. So here's the pattern that I see in Jesus. The pattern I see in Jesus is, first of all, everything begins in creation. Everything begins with a divine DNA. We know from the book of Luke, you know, chapter 2, Jesus is divinely conceived. There's divine conception. There's this pure, you know, divine DNA. Can I tell you, that's not only true of Jesus, but that's also true of you. You were divinely conceived. Now, there may have just been one parent involved with him, and there were two parents involved with the rest of us, but you are still divinely conceived. I mean, I know you're, you know your biology 101, but you do remember, don't you, that at one time, you were one in millions of sperm, right? You were one in millions of sperm. And then there's going to be a race. And all of a sudden, the gun went off, okay? And there was this race to the finish, to the egg, and you won that race, The crazy thing is you never trained for that race. You ever thought about that before? Listen, if you ever again say, I've never won anything important in my life, you've missed a whole honking point to life. You won the most important race of all time. But you had nothing to do with that. It wasn't out of your own effort, was it? 
wasn't out of my own effort. I think the Bible uses the G word for that. And it's called grace. Where I have nothing to do with it. And someone much larger than my life comes along and creates and breathes into me the breath of life. We all start in creation. And this is who we are. I am. I am. I'm this amazing, amazing being, unique being that God has formed and fashioned. But we know Jesus shows us the blueprint, moves on to the second stage of construction. I move from I am to I can. Jesus lives an ordinary life. Jesus goes through birth. He goes through infancy, goes through childhood. He goes through adolescence. He goes through every human stage just like the rest of us. Luke chapter 2 puts it like this. It says, and Jesus kept increasing. He kept growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So Jesus goes through all these phases. We know Jesus was born into this tribal religion, this Jewish tribal religion. His parents were fully inoculated. They raised him up in it. It helped Jesus initially build a container. For the first number of years of Jesus' life, his Jewishness, his Jewish heritage, it served him. It helped him. It laid some like railroad tracks down for him. But at a certain point in his life, he had to walk away from that because that which used to serve him no longer worked for him. During the construction phase, this is where you and I build our ego without even thinking about it. It's during the construction phase that what I would call our compulsive identity gets created. Back in the creation phase, I am. That's all about my true identity, who I really am, what is most true about me. In the construction phase, slowly over time, I begin a construction project. Actually, someone else, several someone else's in my life began a construction project just like you had several someone else's. And there was the you that others wanted you to be. True or false? There was the you that others wanted you to be. And then over time, you took over the construction project, and so did I, and started constructing, constructing the me that I want to be. It's that construction phase. It's amazing. God uses everything in our lives including something that's not perfect. And it's this construction phase we see with him and we see in our own lives. It's during this phase that you and I kind of basically leave the proverbial garden of our lives. And we got to go out, strike out on our own. So one of my grandsons, Owen, a couple of years ago, he was like three years of age. And I was taking him driving, okay? And I wanted him to learn early, so I had him in my lap. He had hold of the steering wheel. Owen, he's very strong will. And so he has both hands on the steering wheel. Both my hands are off. And so we're driving. I'm controlling the pedal and the brake. Don't worry, I wasn't on I-4 or anything like that. All right, I was in a neighborhood. Alec knows me. He's going, no, maybe it was on I-4. But uh, anyway, we're, we're driving a little bit in our neighborhood, so I'm keeping it slow. And, you know, he's just kind of jerking it around like that, you know. And then all of a sudden... He catches me completely by surprise, jerks the entire wheel over as we begin to move into this fire hydrant. Immediately, I scream, he screamed, we all scream for ice cream kind of deal, right? And I immediately grabbed the wheel, and I went, Owen, Owen. And immediately, he starts yelling at me. He goes, gee, daddy, 
let go wheel. I know what I'm doing. Let go. Now, let's just pause for a moment. Let's just understand the context of what was going on. A three-year-old who had never driven in his life was telling me someone that has literally driven Formula One race cars on a track at 170 miles an hour and lived to tell, he was telling me he knew better than me. And you and I do that, and we repeat that performance thousands of times in our lives, right? It's like, thanks, mom and dad. Thanks, stepmom and dad, whoever helped to raise me or a combination of people. That was helpful for a while. Now I need to leave that place, and I need to go find who I really am. That's the construction phase. Sometimes it lasts 25 years. Sometimes it lasts 30 years. Sometimes it lasts a little bit longer. But construction phase is important. Then there's this third phase, deconstruction. Jesus shows us this blueprint and this pattern himself, deconstruction, where all of a sudden there's misunderstanding, there's betrayal, there's suffering, there's failure, there's loss of life, and one is totally, totally confused by what's going on. It's when you know you're in the deconstruction phase of life. So Jesus himself, long before the infamous weekend, he encounters people betraying him, people using him. You do realize, don't you, his own natural family walked away from him for at least a year and a half, including his mother, and had nothing to do with him. Thought he was a complete nut job. Jesus experienced a lot of little deaths long before the big one. And then Jesus looks at me and looks at you and he says, watch me, watch how I do it. I am the way, I am the road, I am the map, I am the blueprint for what reality is actually going to look like in all of your lives, no matter what the circumstances are. Most of us believe, and many of us have been classically taught in Christian world, that Jesus came to die, to be resurrected, so that we don't have to die. I've actually come to believe that that gospel is not inaccurate, but it's incomplete. I believe Jesus actually came to die to show me what I was going to have to go through multiple times in my life. Multiple little deaths, eventually some big death that's going to happen, right? Over in John chapter 12, Jesus said, Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The real death that Jesus was speaking of right here is something that you and I go through with our compulsive identity. You know, we go through with the ego that we've constructed that has served us well for a time. And then all of a sudden, it falls apart where we used to do everything we could to grab and maintain control of life, all of a sudden we lose control of life. Someone walks into our living room and says, we're getting a divorce. And you go, wait, 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 wait. The, the puzzle's shifting here. The pieces, you, no, you can't do that. Or you get a call from a friend. And they say, I just walked out of the doctor's, and guess what? I'm in stage four. 
And all of a sudden, the sense of control that you and I so desperately want to have, and sometimes through illusion we feel like we have, all of a sudden that illusion just falls apart, and we go, I don't guess I'm really in control of hardly anything in this life. That's the deconstruction phase right there. Six years ago, I'd gone through a lot of deconstruction phases in my life, but I went through the mother of one six years ago. I'd had a moral failure a number of years earlier, and no one knew about it. And six years ago, I woke my wife up one morning. I said, I have the most horrific thing to tell you about me. I've deeply betrayed the sacred vows that I made to you. And I told her what happened. The next six hours, our lives descended into a level of hell I never knew existed on this side of eternity. And then that evening, our kids came over. I said, I have the most horrendous thing to tell you about me. I didn't blame anyone else or anything else. I took full responsibility for, you know, the worst decision of my life that happened more than a few years earlier. The result of that was we lost our dream house. We lost almost all of our friends. We lost our income overnight, didn't have income for the next two years. The spiritual community that we had founded and led for 29 years that impacted thousands of people, we were told, you can't ever come back again. We lost almost everything. Now, some of you may be sitting there going, well, David, you deserve that, you know? You pull, you know, you pull that kind of moronic decision, then you've got to pay, pay the piper for that. I, I get that. I understand that. But I'm just telling you, that was the biggest deconstruction period of my life because of the loss of almost everything. Crone, meanwhile, demonstrated remarkable courage, grace, and strength, all while at the same time beating the willies out of me. You know what I'm saying? Deservedly so, all right? So I married Law and Order and CSI put together. There was going to be no stone unturned in this case, okay? And that's really what happened over the course of the next couple of years. It was part of the deconstruction period in my life, in her life, and within the relationship that we had going on at the same time. See, here's the interesting thing about the deconstruction phase. Sometimes it's almost like you and I choose deconstruction, I'm a member of that club. Other times, it's almost like deconstruction chooses us. We go, my God, what, what is happening here? I didn't, I didn't do anything to deserve this. And you're right, you didn't. But these things do happen in life. Jesus never stood around and went, this shouldn't be happening to me. Things he went through, I mean, he lived in one of the most oppressive periods in all of human history. Violence, oppression, slavery was just common to him. It was hard. It was difficult. But Jesus somehow knew that he needed to demonstrate it's a part of the human journey. It's a part of the blueprint going through this deconstruction phase. Listen. There are some things, some of you are really good at studying the Bible, prayer, worship, fasting, deep devotion to Jesus. Yay, that's awesome. But do you realize there are some things 
that you need to get to at the bottom of you that will never come through those kinds of things. There's some things that can only be gotten to in the core of our souls when something difficult and hard beyond our comprehension comes and appears. You and I have to die in order to rise. You and I have to lose in order to win. We have to become broken in order to really be free in our lives. Now, I can tell none of you are encouraged by this information. You're going, well, crap, man, that's why I'm coming to the table. That's why I'm trying to learn, you know. If I get this down, then my life won't be perfect, but surely it'll be kind of a creep up and to the right. Occasionally I have plateaus, but then it's up and to the right again. That's exactly what I was taught. I was taught, boy, you commit your life to Jesus, you become committed, you give your life away, you become a difference maker in your generation with thousands of people, then life over time will not be perfect, but it's going to go increasingly well for you. That is not true. And I came here tonight to deliver that bad news, but hang on, I do have good news to deliver. You would imagine that, right? So... But that's this deconstruction phase right here. Most Christians I know have been prepared for a crossless resurrection. Instead of going, oh, I guess maybe there's some things in me that are going to need to die over time. And initially, it's probably going to feel really bad. But over time, God will do something miraculous. So we begin in creation and move to construction, then we move into deconstruction, and then, oh, here it comes. We get to move into reconstruction. I move from I am to I can to all of a sudden I can't. That's deconstruction. Now I move into he can, where God comes and resurrects. God comes and does something absolutely profound in every way. Here he comes as the risen Christ. This is why Romans 8, 11 says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Most of us have been taught that that verse of scripture has to do with when you and I physically die and go to heaven. Well, yes, that's true, but it's also speaking to an earthly reality here. You and I are going to go through deaths here. And over time, though, God will resurrect whatever got killed, whatever crumbled, whatever failed. It won't always come back in the same form. Often it'll come back in a brand new form, but God will take the worst of things and turn it into something magnificent. Now, by the way, if I'm going through something difficult, you know, don't you, not to come up to me and go, I know it's bad, but it's going to get good. Don't do that to me. I won't do that to you. If you're going through something horrible, I'm supposed to compassionately enter into your tears, your sorrow, your grief, your confusion. Jesus shows this to us in spades all the time. But over time in the grieving period, to be able to come back to, I know this is horribly difficult. Here's some things I've been through. I don't know when, 
I don't know where, I don't know how, but God's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't know how, but God's going to make a way where there seems to be absolutely no way. That's what the resurrection is all about. The resurrection frees you and I to go, it was awful. It was hell. It was difficult. I've never been more confused in all my life. But oh my gosh, I can't believe what God did in the midst of it all. I'm now six years on the other side of the most significant deconstruction stage of my life that lasted several years. I am blown away by the profound goodness of what God's done in me, in Crone, in our marriage, in our family. I cannot believe what God's allowing me to do with leaders throughout the country, around the world, leaders here and people here. I'm like, every day, I'm like, what, what, what is going on here? What, what, how, how did this happen? Well, someone was committed to taking all the broken and dislocated pieces of the puzzle and somehow properly fitting them together. Where I move from I am to I can to I can't to he can. And here's the deal. I don't care what the loss, the pain, the suffering, the disease. Love does always win. God always wins. Again, he's all about the resurrection, but not just a resurrection in another life. Multiple resurrections are available in this life. It's a part of the blueprint. Um, last year, I was speaking at a church in California, and just before I got up to speak, um, they introduced this young lady. She was about 20, and uh, she was the number two uh, violin player in Romania. And so they just put her on the stage by herself. She pulls out this violin, pulls out the bow, and she begins to play. And man, the place just got dead silent. And you could feel what she was playing, and the sound of it was just reverberating on the inside of each one of us, physically and emotionally. It was moving what was going on. And while I was sitting there staring at her playing the violin, as I often do, I was like, God, you have something you want to say to me in this moment. And he said, keep looking at the violin. I kept staring at the violin. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit gave me a picture of a dead tree. I went, Oh, wait a minute. That violin is a miracle. It was a live tree, and then it died, and now it's been resurrected. And now it's a singing tree. <laughs> she was holding a honking singing tree. Not a singing Christmas tree. We won't get into that, okay? So, but it was a singing tree. And then on top of that, wait a minute. She's dragging a cross this resurrected tree, a bow across strings that are made out of goat gut. There was a goat that was alive and well and then died and was now resurrected. And the two, this broken tree, this broken goat, 
this dead tree, this dead goat. Everyone went, yep, the goat's dead. Yep. Yep, she's a goner. She's a goner. All of a sudden, one day, you look up, and these two dead entities are bringing the life to other people. And when I looked at that, one of the things the Holy Spirit whispered to me was, David, that's what I'm doing in you. That's what I'm doing with my whole spiritual family. I'm taking the broken, dislocated things. I'm fitting them back together in new forms and new ways. And this is a part of the word for you this evening. So that God can sing and play a stunning, healing, beautiful music through you to other people. Where you become a healing agent in the world. Not out of all your sheer dedication, I'm going to get this right and I'm going to be as devoted and it's going to all work out. But instead, where you keep learning to respond to the very thing we were singing about earlier this evening. The grace, the grace that just keeps flowing, keeps being poured out. We don't deserve, we don't understand. It's such a mystery to us. That's reconstruction. And then we come full circle. The last stage is completion, where all of a sudden we move into we can. This is when Jesus ascends into heaven. It's like what he came here was given birth to do comes full circle and it's now complete. I believe every single one of us go through multiple cycles of this entire blueprint. Like for me, I feel like Corona and I feel like these days that something has been completed, which we've gone through this whole cycle, and now God's creating something brand new that will again go into a construction phase, deconstruction, hang on, reconstruction, hang on, completion. Does that make sense? So, before I close with you, here are a couple of ways you can use this. First of all, identify which stage are you in tonight. Out of these five stages. And you can be at different stages in various roles or relationships of your life. But overall, you know, which stage would you say that you're in? If you're in a good stage, my counsel to you would be enjoy it. Enjoy it. Lap up the beauty and the goodness of it. But no, there are other things that will come no matter what. You don't have to dread. You don't have to be in fear of it. You actually can have confidence, but go, all right, today is awesome, so let me live in the awesome sauce of today, all right? And then others of you may have identified, oh, man, I'm in deconstruction. When you're in deconstruction, it feels like you're going to be there for the next three lifetimes. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You think this is, this is going to go on forever. If you're there, it doesn't go on forever. It just looks that way. It feels that way in the moment. But God is going to do something profoundly good. And then moving forward in your life to go, yeah, I remember that strange person came and talked to us on a Tuesday night. He told us a tough story. But he said there's a blueprint that can make all of this make sense. 
So the next time, next time you get confused by what's going on in the world and our culture, what's going on in your family, what's going on in the privacy of all things, you, when you get confused, just reach over and look again at the picture on the puzzle box of Jesus and go, oh, that's where this is going to somehow fit. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this divine opportunity here in this moment with these new friends which we know we're all part of the same spiritual extended family community you've put together and God I'm intrigued why in the world you intersected our lives for such a night as this what you must be up to in so many people's lives tonight and this week Lord, I thank you for coming and being more than a doctrine or religious tribal system. You have come to show us the blueprint for all of reality and for all lives. Lord, I ask for those that are going through deconstruction right now. Lord, I just speak your hope into them. I speak your confidence into them. Lord, break through and create what only you can with your resurrection miracles. Comfort them this very night. Lord, for all of us, cause us to live in a bigger reality so that we can be of even more significant help in our generation. In Jesus' name.